Czech Republic, there is a, a small town of Sedlik. In Sedlik, there's a church that's known as the Church of Bones. And I want to share with you how it got that name. It began hundreds of years ago with a monk from the area named Henry. Well, one day, Henry took a trip to Israel. And when he came back home to Sedlik, he brought with him a jar of dirt from Golgotha, the place where Jesus was crucified. And Henry took that dirt and he sprinkled it over a local cemetery there in Sedlik. And you know what? Word about that spread. Soon everybody wanted their loved ones to be buried in that cemetery in what they considered to be holy soil. Well, after a little while, the cemetery got a little crowded. And then the bubonic plague came to Europe. That's when the bodies really started to pile up in cemeteries all over the place, especially there at the cemetery in Sedlik. So what were they going to do? Well, they built a church, and they decided that in the lower levels of the church, they would house a lot of those bones. And they tasked a partially blind monk with organizing the bones in the basement. And that's where they sat for hundreds of years. And then someone had this idea. They said, why don't we hire a local artisan to take all those bones and decorate the basement of the church there? And that's what they did. They hired this guy. He came and he took the bones of what they believed to be anywhere from forty to 70,000 people. And he arranged the bones into things like a giant chandelier uh, using almost every bone in the human body, giant pyramids of bones, candle holders using skulls, and then they chained bones together and hung them up decoratively on the ceiling like party streamers, which I think is that picture that we've got there on the screen for you, if you can make that out. It's pretty creepy and weird that they would do this. But, you know, creepier still is the fact that they still hold church services in the upper levels of this church. I mean, can you imagine being in a worship service knowing that tens of thousands of bodies are underneath your feet? Now, I don't mean to worry anybody, but I've heard rumor, hold on, that our sanctuary does sit on top of a shallow basement-like area from a previous building. That's all I've got for you. I don't know what's down there. <laughs> but now I'm not curious what's down there. But since you're all probably wondering, yes, you can go and visit the Church of Bones. Apparently, hundreds of thousands of people go and visit it every year. And it's interesting to me how people can be both fascinated and fearful of death at the same time. Now, people fear death because death is no respecter of persons. It comes for everyone regardless of status or wealth, background, age, accomplishment, death continues to come for us all. And for the world, this is a dreary thing because death is filled with uncertainty and darkness. But as we saw last week, if you were with us last week, we saw that Christians do not need to fear death. And as we return this morning to Romans chapter 5, we're going to see some more of the reasons why this is true. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn me to Romans chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the seat in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 914. Page 914, Romans chapter 5. You see, although death still remains, it is no longer a mystery, nor should the threat of it hold any power or persuasion over the people of God. Death 
had a good run in each of our lives, believers, holding us all in terror. But praise be to Jesus Christ. We don't need to fear it any longer. Let's see what Paul has to say about this. Romans 5, we're going to begin in verse 12 together. He wrote this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. I'll tell you what, let's just stop here for a few minutes. Paul takes us back to the very beginning. I mean, why is death even here? It was never part of God's purpose, never part of his original creation. God's original creation is described to us in Genesis as being very good. There was no death, no decay. Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, had purpose, and they had perfect fellowship with God and with one another. And at that time, God told Adam that he could eat from any of the trees in the Garden of Eden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the line that he was not supposed to cross, a demonstration of his obedience and love toward God. As many of us know, though, Adam and Eve ultimately chose to cross that line, to disobey that command, to reject the promises and the goodness of God. On that day, sin came into the world. It polluted the hearts of Adam and Eve, and then it spread to all their offspring, including you and me. There is nothing uncertain about that. When I was really little, my older brother, And that happens to kids, they get sick, but Robbie stayed sick. He was sick for a long time. My parents, being the good parents that they are, and I'm not saying that because they're here, but being the good parents that they are, they started taking Robbie to doctor after doctor to figure out what's going on. Robbie ended up in the hospital, and eventually we learned that Robbie has Crohn's disease. And Crohn's is a, an inflammatory disease of the digestive system. It leads to pain, to weight loss, all sorts of complications. And at that time, it seemed like the doctors, they didn't really know anything about it. In fact, now, decades later, they still don't know a lot about it. They still don't know what causes it, what triggers it. They don't know what cures it. They think that it's inherited. And so if you have a first degree relative with it, uh, that means that you have a greater risk of it being triggered in your life as well. So in my family, the question has been for many years, was that passed down to any of the rest of us? And from time to time, I look at my sons and I wonder, have I passed it on to them? A lot of unknowns. Hard to be certain about that. One thing that we can be certain about is that the disease of sin and death has been passed down to every single one of us. Through Adam, we've each inherited a sin nature, that propensity towards sin. Not only that, but with sin comes death. That was one of the consequences for sin. Physical death for everyone and spiritual death in hell for those who reject God and the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, spiritual death is a result of one's own sin and unbelief. But we will all face physical death because Adam sinned. 
And I know that a lot of people, including maybe some of us in this room, we don't like that. We might think to ourselves, why, why should what Adam did affect me? And one of the reasons we might think that is because the idea of Adam as our representative, let's be honest, that's hard for a lot of us. After all, here in America, we live in a very individualistic society. It's about the individual, not about the, the collective. Ours is a very self-focused culture. I just look at the fact that we don't even need someone's help to take our picture anymore, right? We take selfies. Right? It's very self-focused. So we may not like it, but the truth is, Adam was our representative. And he is the beginning of the physical and spiritual gene pool. So death has come to all of us sinful humans, even when mankind did not fully understand the depths of their sin. Because God's law hadn't been given. That's what Paul tells us. Death still came to them. In fact, Paul said that the sin, though, it's not charged against anyone where there is no law. So Adam knew the command of God. He knowingly disobeyed that command. But before the law was given to Moses, there's a lot of spiritual ignorance among people. Does that mean, then, that the penalty of death is unfair for those who live apart from the law, who don't know the law? No, that's not what Paul is saying. If you've been with us through this study, you know that Paul has already pointed out that every person in the world has a basic understanding of God's law written on their hearts. More than that, the creation declares God's glory so that people are without excuse. And if you look in Scripture, even before God's law was given to Moses, we find that people knew certain things were wrong. Okay, Cain understood that he had sinned when he killed his brother Abel. It was clear that there was right and wrong in Noah's day. Abraham, Pharaoh, and Abimelech all demonstrated they knew that lying was wrong. Jacob's sons clearly knew they did evil when they sold their brother into slavery. In other words, the law doesn't show people for the first time that they are sinful. It simply shows us how sinful we are. It shows us how deeply we need to be saved and how just the penalty of death is for all of us. And Paul brings up all these things because this is why death has reigned for so long. Every person is born subject to it held in bondage to it, held fast in its grip. People live their lives in terror at the very thought of death. But there's no ignoring it. I mean, we drive our cars and pass by cemeteries all the time, don't we? We look in the newspaper, and there are new obituaries in it every single day. There is no escaping death. But the good news is that we don't have to live under the threat and the terror and the fear of it. Not anymore. And this is why. Look at verse 15. Paul says, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness 
reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. I don't know about you, but that first section that we read, verses 12 through 14, when I read it, I, I feel that it's pretty heavy, those truths. But then we come to this section, and Paul says, but, but the gift, all oh, the gift of righteousness in Jesus, it's so much greater than the sin of Adam. Adam didn't overcome temptation. He took one command, and he broke it. That one sin brought all this destruction. A drop of poison polluted the whole well. And then each of us came and we started adding to our accounts our own sin and our own selfishness. And then Jesus came. And he took all those sins. And he overcame them all on the cross. And then he defeated death when he rose from the dead. You see, as sinners, we know all about the reign of death. We know the threat, the fear, the terror of it. But as saints in Jesus Christ, we now know what Paul will soon refer to as the reign of grace. And let's not forget what grace is. Grace is that which is freely given. It's undeserved. You see, here's the thing. Because of what Adam did, sin and death were put on all of our accounts. But look at how immense God's grace is. Because of what Jesus did, God graciously offers us to be set free from the bondage of sin, free from the penalty of hell, free from the fear of death, and he offers us righteousness and eternal life to be put on our account. All of these are freely received when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we rejoice, Christians. We don't fear the reign of death because of the greatness of God's grace. We're all going to face death but those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, we've already received an abundance in life and in death. Think of it this way. You know, in life, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we find that, well, in him, our, our yoke is easy. and Our burden is light. We find that God is there to comfort us in our times of need and trial. And as we saw last week, there will be times of trial. Not only that, we find that the Holy Spirit guides us in righteousness. God's grace, His mercy, and wisdom are always available to us. We have this intimate relationship with Him. And then in death, we enter into the great promise of His grace, an eternity with God in the place He has prepared for us. That's why we're always talking about grace as Christians. People realize the reality of death, but many people have not discovered the greatness of God's grace. And so, in the fear of death, people have long tried and failed to escape death. In the past, there were hunts for the Fountain of Youth. I'm sure many of us have heard those stories. Uh, one very popular but disputed legend is that Ponce de Leon searched for the Fountain of Youth Centuries ago, eventually he landed in St. Augustine, Florida. Now I know why you all are always going up there. <laughs> but we know that no such fountain exists. That's silly, we say. How primitive people to think that. But 
Today, people still search for the fountain of youth. They're just looking in other areas. Now they search for the fountain of youth in technology. Let me give you an example. Dr. Ian Pearson is a futurologist, and he believes that by the year 2050, people will be able to live forever. Now he says that even if we can't get to the place where we can you know, regenerate our cells or our bodies, he says, don't fear, because by that time, he's convinced we'll be able to upload our minds and our consciousness to the cloud. And then we can live virtually through androids. But these are the things people are putting their hopes in. Because they look forward, they look ahead, and all they see is this guarantee of death. And they live under the reign of death, but they don't have to. There's a better reign. It's the reign of grace. Paul said in verse 20, he said, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And when we, when we look at God's law, if we're honest with ourselves, then our eyes are open to just how far we've fallen, how hopeless we really are. Now, we no doubt knew that at one point in our life that we were imperfect, but on that day when God's commands were first made clear to us, we realized just how imperfect we really are. And as our eyes were open to those truths, now we can really see just how deep and wide and high the grace of God extends. That he would take this long rap sheet of sin that all of us have, and he would wipe it clean and put on our account the righteousness of Jesus. That is incredible. And there's an old story of Martin Luther, that great Protestant reformer, that one day he was arguing with the devil. And the devil was bringing up to Luther every sin that he had committed in his past. Have you ever faced a time like that, by the way? Where the enemy was reminding you of all the things that you have done. How could God love you? How could he forgive you? Well, Luther was arguing with the devil, and the, a moment came where the devil paused, and Luther said, no, no, you keep going. You must have forgotten some. Think a little harder. Well, the devil did, and then he did. He listed some more sins. And finally, Martin Luther said, now I want you to take this red ink and write across all of them. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. And with that, the devil left him. Where sin runs deep, God's grace runs deeper still, believers. And as Christians, we live in the light of that grace. So we ought to realize that death Death only sends us into greater life, not deeper into death's clutches. It's for this reason that now, in this age of grace, we can join with the Apostle Paul, who famously said in Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It was for that reason that Paul was able to rejoice even in the midst of very, very deep and difficult circumstances. That's why he was able to boldly go where his enemies were, whether or not they were going to kill him. And it's why the Apostle Paul boldly did die for his faith. You see, his life was given entirely to Jesus because he knew he would spend eternity entirely with Jesus. So why fear death? 
He knew that it didn't hold any power over him, just as death does not hold any power over God's people today. And according to tradition, the Apostle Paul did die for his faith. Outside the walls of Rome, in a place known as the Ostian Way. In the early morning, he was forced to kneel before a low pillar, which he was bound to. As he leaned over, he was beat with rods before the executioner lifted up the heavy axe and took off the apostle's head. But you know what? Paul did not fear death because he had lived long under the reign of grace, not under the threat and fear of death and sin. And all Christians should live with such boldness as the apostle. Christians, the day of our death will come at some point. It's true. Yet we do not need to live in the fear of it anymore. We're not like that servant whose master in Baghdad once sent him to the marketplace to run errands. While the servant was in the marketplace, he bumped into somebody. When he turned around, he looked and saw a tall figure wearing a long black robe. He knew instantly he was staring at death. Terrified, the servant sprinted home to his master, told him all about the encounter, including how death had made a threatening gesture to him. So he begged his master if he could use one of the horses to flee to the faraway city of Samara that night. Of course, the master agreed. Later in the day, the master himself went to the market, and he saw death standing there, went up and talked to him. He asked him, why, why did you terrify my servant? Why, why did you make this threatening gesture? Death said, what are you talking about? I didn't. I didn't make a threatening gesture. I was just surprised to see him here. So I've got an appointment with him tonight in the city of Samara. That's <laughs> yeah, a silly tale, but, but the servant in it does represent many people in this world who are terrified and trying to escape the inevitability of death. It is true that we will all face death. Not Really the feel-good sermon you were looking for this morning, huh? See, but the joy for Christians is that we don't live in the fear of death. No, we're supposed to live in the joy of grace. And believers, here is my encouragement and challenge to each of us this morning. It's, it's this truth, that living under the reign of grace should change the way that we are living. If we can say that we are living under the reign of God's grace, because we've gone to Jesus Christ in faith, that should change the way we're living our lives. Death, death had a good run in our lives. We're no longer under its thumb, believers. Because of God's grace, we can step into his will and live for him, knowing that at the end of this life, we will be with him forever. This chapter in Romans should result in a lot of things for us as Christians. Let me just share a few that I've thought of. First, as a result, all of us who call ourselves Christians should stand back in awe of God's grace ready to fall on our face and worship him for his abundant love and grace towards us. Second, instead of living in terror at the thought of death, we ought to live triumphantly in Jesus Christ. And finally, these truths should cause every believer to ask ourselves, if I do not need to fear death because of Christ, then what should I do with this life for Christ? Remember, believers, the Apostle Paul did not fear death. So he lived every moment for Christ. And we should do the same. 
If you're here and Jesus Christ is your Savior, I'd encourage you during this final song that we're going to sing, this time of invitation, that you would go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him what you can do, how you can live for Him this week. How you can boldly step out and live in a way that would bring Him glory and honor. Believer, I am certain that if you go to the Lord in prayer for this and you genuinely desire to know, He will show you this week how you can boldly live for Him. But maybe you are here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior. You've never given Him your life. If that's true for you, friend, I want to share with you something else the Bible says. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews there are two guarantees for every person. It says it is destined each person once to die and then the judgment. In other words, the two guarantees we all have is that we will face physical death and then we will stand before God. The question that you must ask yourself is when you stand before God, will you stand there having an account that was forgiven by Jesus Christ with his righteousness on your account? Or will you stand there with all your sins still there, waiting to be paid for, unforgiven. Friend, if you do not go to Jesus Christ in this life for forgiveness and salvation, then please understand the Bible is very clear. You will stand before God unforgiven, that you will pay the penalty for your sin, and that penalty takes place in hell for all eternity. I'll be honest with you. If Jesus isn't your Savior, you should be afraid of death. You should fear death. But you don't have to. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for me and you. That's what he did on the cross. Then he powerfully rose from the dead, and right now Jesus is standing in heaven waiting to forgive you of all your sins, to save you from the penalty of hell, to bring you into a relationship with him that will never end. The question is, will you give your life to Jesus Christ? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you have never made that decision, we want to give you the opportunity to do that before you leave. Let's pray together. Friend, if that's true for you, if Jesus is not your Savior, please understand, during this final song, you can come up to the front. Maybe you've got some questions you want to ask me. Maybe you want to pray together. But maybe you're ready right now to give your life to Jesus Christ. And if that's true, I don't want you to have to wait another moment. So friend, please know that you can go to Jesus in prayer right now. And by faith, admit to him that you know that you're a sinner. But that you know Jesus died on the cross for you. That you believe he didn't stay in the grave, but that he rose from the dead. And give him your life. And I promise you, I promise you on the authority of God's word, Jesus will forgive you. He'll save you. He'll put his righteousness on your account. So that when you stand before God, You'll be right in his sight. You'll be welcomed into heaven with open arms. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that still hasn't made that decision, I pray they wouldn't leave this place that way. Because, Father, the truth is they should be terrified of death. They don't have to leave terrified of it. If only they will give their life to Jesus Christ. And Father, for those of us who have done that, who have given our lives to Jesus, who stand now in this incredible grace of yours, I pray that we would live lives with great joy, no matter what happens, no matter what comes to us. Help us not to live in the fear of difficulty or death. But instead, help us to leave this place ready to live boldly for you. 
Help us to be gospel witnesses in this community and to our family and our friends. Help us to grow in our relationship with you, to be unashamed of our faith. I pray that this boldness that you would give us would help us to live in such a way that everyone who sees us would know what it is to be a Christian. Father, we pray that in all these things you would be honored and glorified. Because we don't need to be to be lifted high. We pray that would be true in all of our lives. So Father, as we prepare to worship you with another song, I pray that you would lay on every believer's heart here this morning how we can live boldly for you this week. Father, we love you. But your great grace proves day in and day out that you love us more. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.